Uh, I don't know. Time, how are we doing? Yeah, 26 minutes. Let me go back there. Ah, the other one that has a slight kink is Imola. It is Imola. Yeah, yeah this. Miami? I don't know. Miami? <laughs> Miami? <laughs> Miami? Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Rear the Grid. As always, I am your host, Matt, joined by my good friend, Jashan. How are you today, sir? Yes, I was well before we recorded this podcast, and now I'm just... I'm kind of just... What's the word? Apprehensive over how the rest of my night is going to go when I try and start editing this chunky boy. Let's go Fair an enough. hour and a half podcast, yeah. fellas. Lock and load it. Let's go. And on this week's show, I commandeer the first 20 minutes to talk about the much, much more interesting Indianapolis 500. We discuss whether or not Sergio Perez is legit off the back of his Monaco Grand Prix victory. And I do everything in my power to actively deny the fact that Mick Schumacher had a crash at the Monaco Grand Prix. (laughs) All that and more on this, another episode of Rear of the Grid. Shout out to our 3% listeners on Podbean. Let's go, boys. Here we are, back for a, another week. This time in review of the Indy 500, the biggest race in motorsport for the calendar year. Now, Jashan. <laughs> Willpower, baby. Are... Let's go. Aussie pride. Willpower did not win the Indy 500. Um, yeah, but he's 41 years old and he's still driving and that deserves to be shouted out. That's not that crazy for IndyCar. Uh, Jashan, you are a bit of an IndyCar virgin. So tell me, what do you, what do you know about the Indy 500 and its significance? It's like, uh, is it not the flagship race of the IndyCar season? Indeed it is. Right? Yes. Okay, yes. So it's it's an important stop over there in America. People like it. Uh, is it in Indianapolis? It is. It is at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh! This guy, this guy's killing it. This guy killing it. Did you know that Will Power was from Toowoomba? Um, possibly vaguely. Yeah, did you know he's currently fifth all-time in wins and second all-time with poles earned in IndyCar history? Uh, yes, but no. I mean, not not exactly, but not in any way surprised. Will's mm. been doing it for a long time, and yeah, somehow he's only got the one championship. So, well, the reason he only has one championship title yeah. is because I imagine I imagine that the person ahead of him in several, if not all, both of those stat categories is one Scott Dixon. Who um ah. has raced in exactly the same era as Will Power and is very 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 consistent. But um yeah no Will's, Will's also of... Australian from Brisbane. Actually no he's from New Zealand, no, but he was born in New Brisbane. Zealand. Yes, Scott Dixon is a. But Kiwi. he was born in Brisbane. Okay, Jashan. Jashan, where is our former housemate Ben from? 
Oh, fucking Namibia, mate. I know, but what do you what what is his country that is what country is he describing? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's yeah, one yeah. of but those. I mean, things. who who moves from Australia to New Zealand? I'm very confused. People who want a better quality of life with better, more competent leadership. Fascinating. The Iceman, Scott Dixon. I never knew that was his nickname, but there you go. Now, Jashan, before we get to the actual race itself, I've got some fun facts for you about the Indy 500. Okay. Yes, this is all we're talking about. I guess you, I didn't, you didn't need me to remind you to talk about Marcus Ericsson, did you? Because you're already I, I taking guess, I guess not. I have, I have remembered. Uh, the first yeah. Indy 500 took place in 1911. Uh, one lap around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is two and a half miles long. Uh, okay. Traditionally, at the end of the race, the winner will down a pint of milk rather than champagne on the podium. They present the right. winners with a pint of milk. Is there a, is there, why, what is the history there, milk-wise? Lewis Meyer, winner of the Indy 500 in 1936, was the first one to do it. And yeah, after, after the race, he... Uh, down to a bottle of chilled buttermilk, and ever since then, that's just what you do when you win Indy. Mm. The longest Indy 500, indeed, Some the longest Indy milk. 500 uh, happened in 2004. Uh, rain delays throughout it meant that the broadcast was in total mm-hmm. eight hours and 22 minutes. The youngest wow. ever winner of the Indy 500 was Troy Rutman at age 22, and the oldest is Al Unser, who was 47. And oh the last my one days. for you. This is <laughs> my dad is out here complaining about. Oh, I'm in my. I'm 50 years old and I can't goddamn film a hip anymore. And this guy is 47 and winning winning races over over there mm, in IndyCar. That's indeed. that's very impressive. Uh, and this is the best fact of them all. If all of the Indy 500 hot dogs and mm. bratwursts that they sell on race day were placed end to end, they would circle the oval more than three times. Huh. No shit. Indeed. I don't mind a good bratwurst. Are you a big bratwurst guy? I've never had one. I mean, I imagine I probably would be. It's You've never had a bratwurst? Uh-huh. But, like, it's Mate. it's a sausage, and it's German, so I assume it's just a sausage, but better. Yeah. Because that's normally how have it goes. Have you had a Kransky? I haven't. The idea of a Kransky, I think, is, I don't know, it's just one of those things where, like, the ingredients are all things I like, but sometimes I'm just, I'm never, I'm never game to necessarily try it. Try things that mix too many things oh, up and yeah. like, it just sounds like it's too big of a risk that it's just going to take a bunch of really good things and ruin them. I see. We'll have to we'll have to meet up sometime and consume some German sausages so together. Now, it's, it's all it's good stuff. Tishan, I have I have yes. a few questions for me to uh, test your knowledge. Of course. Can you tell okay. me who the most successful drivers in the history of the Indy 500 are? Oh, in the history of the Indy 500. Yes. Okay. Uh, Scott Dixon? Uh, yes and no. Scott Dixon has led the most laps in Indy 500 history, but he only has one Indy 500 win. Um, I see. He, yeah, pretty much every year. We'll get to that in a minute, but yeah, pretty much every year he's an incredibly dominant car and just never had much luck in converting that two uh, victories at the end of 500 miles. Oh, so he's a choker. He's a real um, Mick Schumacher out there. Well, I would hardly call him that because I believe he has more IndyCar <laughs> titles than any other driver in history, so... <laughs> yeah. No. Wouldn't be caught dead, mate. You're having, a, you're having a laugh. You're having a raff. You're having a raff. 
Um, I, then I'd probably back that up with... Ooh. Oh, I've got to go Colton Herder, <laughs> for sure, in the conversation. Um, Colton Herder has never won an Indy 500 in his very short career. Really? That's unfortunate. Um, let's go Roman Grosjean next. Uh, no, Roman Grosjean no. has not won the only Indy 500 he entered, which was this year. Well, that's unfortunate. Is it an oval? Yes. Ah, it's an, it's an oval, right. And Rome, and Grosjean didn't want to do the ovals last year. Yeah, well, he, he wasn't was sure. Cautious. And then, yes, as he realised he was yep. more competitive and he does really have the passion for it, he is running the full schedule this season. Fuck yeah. Yes. What a fucking superstar. Shout out to Grosjean Watch uh, last Come on, Jishan. Jishan. This is America. Do you really think the most famous race in American motorsports would do anything other than turn left? Um, then I'll, I'll go, I'll go Pato O'Ward next. He's, he's not even American. Is he in the conversation? He's not even American. No. O'Ward has never won an Indy 500 in his very short career either. Alright, then I will also go with... It's... N um... No, 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 no. Let me go. Uh, give me Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson is the most successful NASCAR driver of all time, but in just his second year of IndyCar and his first Indy 500, no, he didn't win his first ever Indy 500 on debut. Damn it. Give me Marco Andretti. I mean, Alicia, go into more relevant names, but no, Marco Andretti's like easily the worst Andretti to have ever andretti so no. Right, and let me finish off with Tatiana Calderon. No, she did not win on debut either. Right. There is one driver in the current field who actually does sit atop the list of Indy 500 victories. Yeah. And no, it is not Juan Pablo Montoya. He's only won a pair of... <laughs> uh, Joseph Newgarden. No. Alexander Rossi. No. Uh, Felix Rosenquist. I'll tell you, it's a it's a name that I feel like you will like. It's definitely one of the better names on the grid. So look at the look at the quality names. Oh, Castro Neves. Yes. Helio Castro Neves. Castro Neves. Ah, last driving for Maya Shank yes, Racing. Yes, last year's Indy 500 to become a four-time champ, joining mm. AJ Foyt, Al Unser Jr. and Rick Mears as four-time yeah. winners of the great race. But Jashan, none of them won the race this year, but someone did. And there is a good reason that I've commandeered this whole Formula One podcast to talk about the Indy 500. <laughs> and it's not just that it was a much, much more interesting and enjoyable race than Monaco's. Because Jashan, do you know who won the Indy 500 uh, this year? Ah, oh, Jesus. Is it, it's that bloke who hit someone. It's that bloke who hit Romain Grosjean, was it not? It isn't that, fucking... that bloke who allegedly hit Romain Grosjean, according to no one but <laughs> Romain Grosjean. Yes, the 2022 <laughs> Indy 500 champion. Marcus Ericsson, um, obviously Crazy. of notable Formula One fame, stints at both Sauber and I think very briefly Alfa Romeo, maybe? Incredible stuff. Yeah, Marcus Ericsson, who did not win a single race, did not ever come close to winning a race or even scoring a podium in his time in Formula 1. And I believe we brought it up last year after he got that. Don't think he'd won a race since, like, GP2 in 2012 or 13 or something. Won a pair, That's a considerable stretch won of time. Won a pair of races towards the back end of last season's IndyCar season. And then, yeah. He won the Indy 500 this year in a race that was largely dominated by his teammates, particularly the aforementioned Scott Dixon. 
who oh, led, yeah. I believe it was 95 of the 200 laps. He did. He led 95 of the 200 laps. It was pretty much... Well, it was pretty much... It was the Ganassi boys and the uh, McLaren boys up front. Pato Award of notable possible one-day Formula One fame. And Felix Rosenquist, mm. who were running right up near the top, as well as... Rosenquist? Connor Daly... Uh, Colton Herter, it should be said, just we'll mention him because he is Formula One relevant. Uh, didn't have a great day in the end, finished 30th. Uh, possibly could have been on for a good run at Indy, but he had a very big crash, I think, in the qualifying the previous weekend. So Indy is notable. Qualifying takes the way it takes place the weekend before the actual 500. There's a lot of different practice runs as well. Like, basically, May... I built for that. There is two events on the whole IndyCar calendar in May, and they all take place in Indy, Indianapolis. They have the start of May. There is the Indianapolis Grand Prix, which is on the road course. Right out. And then yeah. you have uh-huh. a practice weekend, and then you have a qualifying weekend, and then you have the 500. It is yeah. There, there are only shebang. frankly there are only three other thing races on the planet in terms of major motorsport categories I can think of that are comparable in any way to Indy, and that is Le Mans, the Daytona 500, and Bathurst. Uh, Big Bathurst. We'll be talking about Bathurst later today. Yes, we will. I have that. I have that screenshotted as well. Good cat. Hey. That's, that's the only other Huge. thing I really want to talk about after I finish talking about Indy. I might just shut up for the rest <laughs> of the show. But, yeah, so Cold Nardo with a big crash there. Oh, man, he was running the backup car. It just never quite seemed to go right. Uh, elsewhere, former um, F2 star, Cal Milot, was actually having a really good run, was sitting top 10 for most ah, of the day, yes. and I was getting all sorts of excited uh, until he ran into a fence. Ideal. And that was a that was a That's bummer. about as ideal as a Maury Cordial, and buddy. And then Grosjean was having a middling day, and then he ran into a fence. And then Australia's favourite New Zealand-born son, Scott Dix, sorry, Scott McLaughlin, uh, three-time Supercross hey, hey. champion. He was having, he was recovering well from a piss ball qualifying, and then he too ran into a fence. Bloody hell! There was, I think, five cautions across, uh, and just no, no, like actual car-to-car contact for the five hundred. Just every now and again. Someone would just push it a little bit too hard, catch a little bit of grass, whatever, and the second one of these things gets out of particularly at Indy with the shallow banky and that. If you, you get loose, mm. you're one minute, you're flying around the track at 250 miles per hour, and the next minute you're driving hard right into a wall at 250 miles per hour. Um, it's not fun. That's some Gs right they, there. Yeah, they, you pull some fucking Gs. There is some fairly, fairly big impacts. But, uh, yeah, so it was the uh, Ganassi boys who dominated most of it until the first set of pit stops came right at the awkward time of fuel windows that Alex Pillow, uh, my favourite son, and the man who was leading the championship going into India, I believe, he was pretty much out of fuel because they basically... So there is refueling in Indy, and they'll basically run them until they're about to go dry, and then they'll pit. Okay. And right as he okay. was about to that, he was literally... Uh, slowing down and lining like on his way into pit lane and the caution came out and american motorsport well certainly ah. nascar indy is a bit different from the likes of formula one obviously formula one safety car comes out you dive into the pit lane get a free pit stop uh nascar and indy car what? when the caution comes out the pit lane closes oh really and you initially you cannot you cannot pit at the start of the caution until the field is cycled up and then they'll reopen the pit lane and allow everyone to come down at the same time 
So if you're already on pit oh, road, you can, you, can, you can complete your stop. But if you're decelerating, lined up and about to go into the lane, and suddenly the pit lane closes, or you just got to cycle through and you cannot stop. So he did that, lost a oh, few no. spots, and would have been fine. But then it took several laps for the pit lane to actually open. And of course, he basically run it dry. So eventually they just had to pull the plug and take an illegal pit stop under caution which cycled him to the back of the oh, pack no. and then made a penalty at the back of the pack. So that put him all the way down to the back. He would eventually recover to a decent ninth. Uh, that would leave just Ericsson, um, Ericsson, Dixon, his teammate, to basically battle oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with the two McLarens for the entire day. And as I said, Dixon led 95 of the laps until the last round of pit stops when he locked, pushed a little bit too hard, locked up coming into pit entry and was pinged for speeding, which is a drive-through. And would put him all the way down the back. And that would leave the situation Ugh. of the two McLarens out front and a third of the Ganassi boys. Our favourite son, Marcus Ericsson, in third. And boy, oh boy, at Bloody this oath. point, Marcus Ericsson... Marcus Ericsson just turned it on and he ran both ran down both Rosenquist and O'Ward within the first few laps. Breeze by the lap traffic significantly using the McLaren. I think he checked out to about four second lead over award. Was doing it comfortable with about Cash. five laps to go. When at this point, Jimmy Johnson also decided he'd get into that, get in on that good, good running into the fence action, which brought out a yellow, which instantly brought out a red because that you know it would have otherwise finished under caution i don't think indy has the green white checkered rules of nascar so at times they will just red flag the race so as to be able to finish under racing laps kind of like uh abu dhabi last year but with significantly less controversy well we we have had a bit too much controversy i think in motorsports so So, less controversy red flag which Back the pack back up, but Ericsson was able to hold strong, survive a really strong challenge in from uh, Pato Award into Turn One on the final lap, and once he saw off that, nice. it was keep it out of the fence for another three corners, bring it home, and forever write himself in the history books as an Indy 500 winner. Which honestly, at this point, pretty much means Marcus Ericsson retires with a successful motorsporting career because he's now won one third of the Triple Crown which is uh, the Indy 500, Monaco, and uh, Le Mans. It's the no shit. big three that people typically talk why, about. Why is it that Indy, the Indy 500 and Monaco happen over the same weekend? Like, who decided that? Who, who made that decision? I'm not sure. It'd be something to do with... It's just like, I don't know, somewhere much further back down the line, whether it's because there was more direct comment hat. So that, but it's just that they both, yeah, they just both choose to run the final. It's just the final weekend of May, and that's just how it. I don't know. It's just how it's been. Just for as how long it as goes. I know. It's a bit of a blockbuster um, weekend. Oh, it, it is. Yeah, it's always a very, very key uh, weekend in motorsport, and that's a thing. If you're like an American or whatever, you get to happily roll for Monaco. If you're like an American well, or whatever. If, if you're an American, no, because if you're an American, you get the drink because you get to wake up Monaco in the morning. That's a, it'll be yes. it'll be dull, but that's just to spice you up a little bit, get the get the juices flowing a little bit, get you in the mood for motorsport, and then at you know one pm or whatever the main event starts, you have to roll straight into Indy. If you're an Australian, you've got to give up and go yeah. to bed before Monaco starts, 
And then you wake up and Indy's already <laughs> finished. But you know. you get Indy on in the morning. Uh, right. and one but what time does IndyCar start in Australia? Oh, a lot of the races probably like. I mean, it depends whether it's a late afternoon race or that, but like two or three in the morning probably usually because they're. They think it, think of it. It's right, probably yeah, a similar yeah. time, maybe a little bit earlier than like the four p.m. time slot for American football. So like you know yeah, that yeah that, yeah for sure wee wee hours in the morning. Okay, I see. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, that was that was our little segue uh, onto the Indianapolis 500. Um, <laughs> it was so, not little. You spoke for twenty two minutes yeah. straight. And uh, yeah, as always, I've been Matt, and he's been Jashan, and this has been another episode of Really Green. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about? Do you want oh, to, I thought it was like. Anything else? Five ten minute aside, I can understand. But twenty two fucking minutes, yeah, man. It was it was a good bit of motorsport. It was much for interest. I told you to watch it. Could have done a whole podcast if you bothered to watch it. I'm working like fifteen hour days at the moment. Did any bro. did anything else funky. did anything else happen that weekend? Oh my god. Like I know there was I don't know, I can't remember. I, don't, I, don't my know, brain's there was, I know there I know there was tennis and cycling, but did anything else happen that weekend? Uh, I'm a big Alex Palou fan personally over there in the IndyCar, so I, I hope he manages to uh, Agreed. That's sneak out Palou the dub there. Oh, hello. Defending champion. Oi, oi, oi. Oh, yeah, you're a big Alex Palou guy as well? Indeed. Pretty much Alex. anyone anyone who drives for Ganassi, really. But, uh, so Palou, Overused Palou first name, decent. but it's always kind of a decent one. There's nothing wrong with an Alex. Same with, I think, a Charles. I think Charles is one of the... Charlie, Charles, Chuck. Any, any, Charles, Charles. you know, form of that name, I reckon, it's always, it's always good. You can never hate a Charlie. You can never hate an Alex. You can never hate a Charlie. Unless you're obviously the Ferrari engineers there, in which case they have some sort of vendetta against their driver and his championship hopes. Can we talk Indeed. about Formula One now? Um, well, yeah, I've been asking you, did anything else happen that weekend? I can't remember. Beautiful. There was a race in Monaco. Was there? <laughs> I have yes. no... In a week and a half ago now. It's been gray. a while. I have no memory of this place. <laughs> it's been a while. It has... It's been a week and a half. We've, um... We've been trying to manage our time and, and figure out a good little spot to record the pod. Here we are today, doing it, making it happen. Unfortunately, Spencer can't make it. He is a busy, busy boy, working hard or hardly working... I definitely think it's the, the former from what I can hear. But you know what? I work hard too, Matthew. And, I, and allegedly recently you do as well. I and do. yet here we are. I do allegedly Putting in the effort. I just, Making I it just, work. How are, the ke- how are the kegs been rolling, mate? They've been rolling all right? I haven't actually touched a keg in a couple of weeks. We've been... It's been a, ah. it's a, been a two-week two, two week wait. Or it's been a longer, longer break than usual. A couple of week break between um, fixtures now that the rugby's done. So last week, last uh, week there was no kegs in the stadium. But well, new kegs in the stadium because I and I believe the kegs are getting delivered tomorrow. So Thursday I'll be I'll touch kegs again. But the last the last couple of weeks I've just been delivering, well mostly water if I'm honest, water, wine, and spirits oh, yeah. to every single fucking bar in Suncorp Stadium. For the first four hours of my shift last Thursday, all I did was put water bottles in fridges. Captivating stuff. I mean, that's got to be good for your steps, though, surely. That's got to be good for the old Google Fit. Well, there. no, it's not, because 
No, that's the thing. Normally, normally you're able, I'm able to do like five or six laps of the stadium. Like by the time like lunch rolls around or whatever, I've done three or four laps of the stadium already. Took us four hours to do one lap of level three. Cause oh, I, put, oh, I see. I put, you like, spent a lot of I put 800 yeah. water bottles in fridges on level three last Thursday. So it took us four hours to do one lap of level three. So no, that's actually, good for the upper body I cardio, actually, you know. I actually had some of my lowest ever step counts at work last week because mm. I'd walk two hundred meters and then spend fifteen minutes in a bar loading fridges rather than walking two hundred meters, spending five minutes at a bar walking two hundred meters, and so on and so forth. But alas, I digress. You're right. Monaco did happen. Did you watch the full race or the mini? Uh, I watched the full race what last week. What an absolute then. fucking madman. No wonder you're throwing was, bits at me I was kind of half asleep when I did it, so I don't remember a whole lot, but I watched the mini more recently. So Well, I watched the mini know, can... on the Monday morning after Monaco, <coughs> and I remember very little because it's been a week and a half. Oh, uh, you haven't you haven't rewatched anything since? No. Fuck I haven't it, been particularly mate. inspired to. I can remember the mo- I can remember the main thing, which is that nothing really fucking happened apart from pit stops. For God's they sake, were, hey, they were no- we are on the biggest viewership sp- spike of the podcast history right now. Some good, genuine views. Shout out to Sweden. Shout out to America. I know. Shout out Bring to Sweden. In- Why the fuck do you think I spent twenty two minutes talking about Marcus Ericsson? <laughs> it's what the Swedes want. Okay, so to our Swedish, to the 4% of the people out there who listen to our podcast who are from Sweden, we've got the Marcus Ericsson content in there, alright, to satiate your needs. You want more Sweden? You want more Sweden? I'll go on my Matthias Ekstrom segue if you want, there's more Sweden as well. I know how to appeal to the Swedish viewership. We've also got... Marcus Gronholm, no, Swedish? We uh, we've got, we've got some Indonesian fans, and their flag kind of looks like... Poland, but upside Poland. down. Yeah. And also looks like the Monaco flag. If you look up flag of Monaco. Yes, but so it's, a, I've it's, actually a, it's nailed a lighter that. shade of red, I believe. Yeah, so it's I fucking nailed that. We've got the, the Indonesia into Monaco segue. Qualify. The, um, the skinny of it, the tall and the short of it, is Charles Leclerc grabs his third successive pole and fifth of the season and would uh, would start first over there in Monaco on race day. Now, when we actually got to Sunday, it was pissing down with rain. Which uh, Spencer did tell uh, us it was going to do. And for once, the um the, for- the forecasters were uh, on fire because it, it rained come Sunday. Oh, it sure did, and it rained so hard and so heavy and so consistently that the race directors there, I don't know which one of them was working at the time, but they decided, let's put a pause on this race. I don't, I think the delay was about an hour, I want to say, at the start there. Sure. Uh, Bada bing, bada boom, the race started, exactly no relevant positions changed hands. It was Leclerc leading from Sainz, leading from Perez, leading from Verstappen. Unless I'm mistaken. Mm-hmm. Fuck all happened for a while. It was wet. It was slowly drying. Eventually, Charles? Or was it the Red Bulls? Hamilton and Checo went in first at about lap 16. The first guy to actually pit for Inters was Gasly, who literally pitted instantly after yes, the start. Was, was so because soon. there was a rolling start. 
There was a rolling yes. start because of the delay, and which meant that everyone had to start on wets. And now over there at AlphaTauri, they Gasly had qualified quite poorly, so we're starting quite low down. And he was just like, fuck it, let's go in for Inters. Let's just make a bit of this happen. Yeah, he was the first man on Inters. It wasn't really working for a bit, but then after about 10 laps, you kind of started to see Pierre weave his way through the grid, make a few passes on guys, make a few moves on the real backmarkers, you know, guys like Joe and Ricardo, these guys, making some good moves. Um, Oof. So we saw the other kind of drivers reacted around lap 16, so Hamilton and Checo pitted lap 16, uh, whereas the others, so your Leclerc's, your Sciences, your Verstappen's, were trying to hold out and go straight from wets to dries. Um, it was it was a bit of a it was a bit of to and froing as to whether the guys would actually come in and make that pit or whether they would you know try and hold out and 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 wait. And that kind of led to a bit of confusion in pit lane, specifically in the Ferrari camp. Well, there, you feel like you've left ahead. So so it was eventually so Leclerc and Verstappen would eventually follow suit with Perez. Signs yes. would opt for the option of just running the whole way with wets. Uh, at this point in watching the mini, because I, I decided, and the reason I watched the mini, I was like, I just want to have this done before I had head into my shift at 7 o'clock on Monday morning. So managed to squeeze in a cycling stage and the mini of Monaco before I did that, which was nice. Um, so I had no idea of the result, of course, at this point. Um, and so, of course, your boy got a little bit excited because he was like, oh, my God. Is, oh my god! Is, is Carlos gonna shake out in front? Because then all these there's no gravel <laughs> traps, so he's gonna win. Holy shit! <laughs> Carlos might win Monaco, and then he was the first one to take a bite of the cherry to go onto the dries, um, and which was fine. I mean, he probably just got to the point where he's wet or not. It's one of those things. I don't know whether it was just his wets were absolutely done and he had to come in or not. Whether it was a case if they'd been able to hold out for a couple of laps longer, would Red Bull have come in and could maybe a Ferrari overcut them? But Ferrari is the first one to uh, bite. And then in probably the fuck-up of the century, they told Leclerc to box as well, and then in the old, good old Mercedes way of the box, 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 no, stay out, stay out, and Lewis is like, you're wankers, I'm already in the pit lane. They did the old box, box, box. No, no, stay out, stay out. And Charles was like, I've literally already driven into the pit lane. Yes. So they double stacked the stop. A very angry They double stacked the stop, which I think already cost Charles maybe half a second. And what would also prove to be the case is that whilst it was definitely time to go onto the dries, cold, you know, still damp track in places and obviously very cold conditions meant the warm-up phase for a dry tyre was a little bit longer than it normally would be. So a used mm-hmm. warm set of wets, uh, sorry, inters, was a little bit faster in terms of an in-lap than the fresh dries on an out-lap, which meant by running one lap longer in the case of Perez and two laps in the case of Verstappen or vice versa. They pitted Verstappen first, didn't they? Cause no, they pitted Checo first. They did pit Checo first? Yeah, yeah, so they're running a little bit longer for the Red Bulls meant that Perez was able to come out in front of everybody and Verstappen yeah. was able to jump ahead of uh, Leclerc. So... I believe the... 
Uh, I think it... Yeah, yeah. So Checo's undercut on Leclerc was worth around seven seconds in total, according Over, to Overcut. Over, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, haircut. it went from... Haircut, it went from... Which is kind of insane. It went from a... Yeah. So it went from a Ferrari 1-2 to a Ferrari 1-2 in a different way, and then once everyone was back onto the same sequence of dries, it was... A Red Bull one two, a Ferrari sorry, a Red Bull one three, Ferrari two four. Yeah, yeah. So, so Perez still, leading science, leading Verstappen leading. Exceedingly Leclerc. pleased for me. Science was still P two and that. But uh yeah. Perez was out in front. That and they just ran there. around in that they ran around in that order and then uh, a magical red flag came out for reasons I just cannot remember anymore. Uh, red Bull would choose to whack the mediums on <laughs> to their cars at that point. Um, and so while Ferrari would just leave the hards on theirs, early on we'd see Perez sort of dash away from Sainz for a bit, but Verstappen, because it's Monaco, unable to wait, uh, find a way past Sainz, and then eventually towards the end in the last 20 minutes or so, obviously Perez's tyre started to go off a little bit, and Sainz would close back up, and we got to watch 20 minutes of the top four separated by less than about two seconds, and exactly maybe like a quarter of an overtake attempt at one point, Sainz kind of like pulled out of the slipstream once, I think, and was like, ah, no, we'll probably <laughs> both end up in the fence. I'd rather just finish second. Yeah. And it was weird because like on the one hand, it is cool and exciting to see the top four, like the four main guys in the championship and everything running right there in the same camera shot. But on the other hand, like... Once Perez got in front of the pit cycle, I was kind of like, well, that was a fun way to tease me and have me thinking that Carlos Sainz was going to win the Monaco GP. That's a bummer because he's not going to get an overtake. And he didn't get an overtake. Indeed. It's worth it's worth, ha- it's worth asking, ask, asking the question because Carlos on his outlap lost about two seconds to a lapped Williams, I, do, I believe. He was stuck behind... I forget it with, if it was Latifi or Albon. I was not aware yes. of this. You need to work now, out which Williams driver it was. Oh, I don't remember. This is this is crucial. I don't remember. Whoever this was is going to be my... Enemy of choice for the remainder of this podcast see, history. See, we need to. This is why we need Spencer here because he has just the most random knowledge. He would know this instantly. Well, regardless, maybe I'll bother like, to track Bam. it down. But whichever one of them, whether it was Latifi or Albon, one of them is dead to me. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, look, that's also a Ferrari thing for for pinning him when he would have come out, you know, in traffic. Maybe they should have timed that better, but then again, Indeed. you can't. Beggars can't be choosers, right? Like when the window is there. To go from wets to dries, you kind of just have to go for it and bite the bullet. Uh, yeah. But it's but, it's um, it's a question where like science could have won this race, and I think it is still good for him to have kind of steadied the ship and come home with what is this, a couple of pretty decent performances in a row. Was the last race Spain <sighs> or Miami? Spain. Okay. Uh, well, you know, he was good here. He was yep. good here. So that's, that's, that's good one of those, to see. It's one of the things. And look, and Carlos could have won this race. Leclerc should have oh, yeah. won this race because logically, yes, they should have waited that lap. And Leclerc was ahead of the Red Bulls. And if they'd waited that lap, I don't know for sure, but I'd almost guarantee they would have brought Perez in the same lap that Charles came in. Because if they had oh, left both Red Bulls out, there would have been a 
real chance that Symes is wet, um, dries, would have got up to temp, and his second lap would have been quick enough that he would have been assured to come out of the Red Bulls anyway. So he would have had to bring one of them in, and then unless Ferrari fucked up the pit stop, Leclerc was in front, still would have come in. And to be honest, considering that Sainz still... Yeah, we probably would have ended up with the 1-3 to Ferrari and the 2-4 to Red Bull. Uh, so, yeah. Not a great day at the office for Ferrari at all, really. No, they cheaped it. It was fun looking at the footage after the race of like Leclerc and Vettel having a, a little back and forth. And obviously, we don't know what they're saying. But you can you can kind of speculate that Vettel's there, just like yes, yes, yes. It feels shit, does it not? <laughs> it feels shit, does it not? The old Ferrari master plan coming back to bite us in the ass. You love to see it. Uh, one other notable in race thing, I assume, is that because I I never fully was aware of this because again I watched I watched the mini, so I don't think I got to see the right bits of footage and that. But um. I hadn't realised from that just how far behind the top six Alonso was. Because um, after yeah, after dude. the top four, it should be said, Russell was there in fifth, continuing his flawless streak of top fives. Uh, yep. And Lando was running sixth. Now, this, I believe this would have been after the red flag Very restart. Very good race you for had, Lando Norris. You had those six. And then if you were there trackside, you'd see those six flash by and let's call it the space of maybe seven or eight seconds. And then you'd probably stare at your watch for, I don't know, 15, 20 of them. Like, oh, this is on the race. <laughs> and then you would see every single car on the track go by in about another 10 seconds as they were all in one big, long line behind Fernando Alonso. Roger Sean is the only man to have actually watched the complete Monaco Grand Prix. Do you want to give us a little bit more detail on this? Uh, no, not really. Fair enough. Fair enough, truly Nando, captivating Nando stuff. Nando likes a good wide car, and Hamilton can't overtake for shit. Indeed, and he loves uh, he just loves to stare at Fernando Alonso's ass. I so think, that's I think allegedly Fernando was driving slow or something, but like I mean he can oh, drive it he can drive it unless he's like driving at twenty Ks per hour and it's legitimately dangerous. <laughs> he can drive however fast he wants. It's it's Monaco, it's not exactly. his problem that people can't overtake him. So exactly. Fernando Fernando drove great, kept them all behind him. And it was a, it's a bloody yeah. hilarious... Because I genuinely just thought that he'd been backing up a few people behind him and he was obviously just not as fast as the top six. I didn't realise the first time that I saw it that that, like, track map graphic was actually real and it's literally the top six in the... It's split yep. between, like, Raskas to the, the swimming pool chicane, all in that little bit of track. And then, like, you go all the way around to Alonso who is, like, entering the tunnel. The tunnel. So there's the whole run through the tunnel, through the Nobel chicane, all the way up to the exit of the swimming oh, pool. It's like 15 seconds of track time. No cars. But like, <coughs> he, he man wanted points and he made sure he got them. This was the first time Alonso has scored points in Monaco since 2016. You know, he was just happy to be there, looking at the views, taking it all in, checking Absolutely. out the real marina, you know? Big Nando. Gotta do what That Alpine is, is very confusing. I can't tell if it's fast or if it's goddamn trash. It's, it's a very befuddling vehicle. Because Ocon was in and around the points as well. Um, around that 8th, 9th. Uh, he was ninth, I believe, for quite a lot of the day behind Hamilton. 
at some point tried to make a move on Hamilton and, and fucked it up and kind of made some contact, which he would then be penalised five seconds for. And as a result of this train, like, a five-second penalty means the other cars are literally right behind him. So that five-second pen would take him out of the points and give Bottas P9 and Vettel P10. I was going to say, the real question is, did this contact with Hamilton happen before or after the red flag? Uh, it was before the red flag. It was quite early. Okay, well then my theory is that Alonso knew this and was like, if I just keep everybody in a massive queue behind me, Ocon will lose the points, <laughs> which he, I need for that because he needs to prove that like he is the better driver than Ocon and deserves to keep that seat when they put Piastri in. So like... Of course. He do, he actually didn't want Ocon to score. This was all his tactics to make Ocon not score points so he could draw a little bit closer to the championship. <laughs> It was all part of the plan, mate. It was all part of the plan. Now Piastri's going to McLaren, man. Look at look at the chat. Ricardo's done. Zach Brown's sick of him. He's done. Bring in Oscar Piastri. It's happening. But um, yeah, Bottas is ninth, as I mentioned. That is the best finish for an Alfa Romeo driver since Felipe Nasser. Nasser. Felipe Nasser. Yep. Nazar Naza finished ninth there in 2015, and P10 for Sevettel. He was happy with it, but that was the first time he's finished lower than fifth, um, having actually finished a race ever in Monaco. So a couple of fun facts for you there, boys. A couple of fun facts for you there, boys. Um, anything else from the race itself before we kind of get to the fallout and the results? Not as far as I'm in? concerned. Do you remember Nicholas Latifi's crash? No. Ooh. It was quite possibly the most nondescript crash of all time. Because this was during, um, I believe, the formation lap as they were restarting the race. And kind of coming down into that uh, first oh, first hairpin there, Yep. the car just doesn't turn. And he just kind of drives into the wall at so, about so five kilometers an hour. So this was this was um, while they were behind what the safety car, or whatever, in the wet. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so that Prior would have been. That, I doubt that would have been included in what I watched on the mini. But um, yeah, uh, that that would be the first indication that it was too wet to be actually yes, running green flag. That quite. And all the people like bloody Jeremy Clarkson and all of his Legion of Followers being like, Formula One's meant to be dangerous. Mate, if Nicola... I know it's only Nicholas Latifi, but if the car won't fucking turn... Stroll did it as well. If the car... Well, okay, you've not made a compelling case there. You've picked out the two worst drivers on the grid. But regardless, (laughs) Marcus Ericsson used to be... uh, Marcus Ericsson used to be the two worst drivers on the grid, and he can't be that bad because he's a three-time IndyCar winner and he's won the biggest race on the planet. So... Um, the biggest race on the planet. Well, I'd say it's that or Le Mans. That's the two. That's the two. Because F1, I know Monaco does that, but like it's a simple equation. Do you ever hear any Formula One driver introduced slash described by the number of Monaco Grand Prix they've won? But you know how you'll hear someone, someone to be like Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion, or maybe like blah blah blah. X number of Grand Prix winners. Have you ever heard someone call it like? I I don't know whether I have a good example of a guy who's won a lot of Monaco's but nothing else. But you know, do you ever hear it? Mark Webber, one-time Monaco Grand Prix champion. Aside from if it's at Monaco itself that weekend. I think Ricardo has a bit of that, but that's also because his win was so epic and and kind of awesome with its uh, narrative and whatnot. But no. 
I understand what you're saying. Monaco's big, but within the sport of Formula One, I just don't think it actually does have quite the standout significance. Like, it is still... It's not another race weekend, but at the same time, it is another... So which is why there's genuine talk of it possibly dropping off the calendar, whereas, like, Bathurst and Indy in that will never... And Le Mans will never fall off their respective calendars. I guarantee it. The sport would sooner die. I don't think Monaco will fall off either. Uh, I think it'll be the French GP, but... but well, that's not even we the ones they're talking about. They're talking, they're talking Monaco or Belgium. Oh, God. I hope it's not Belgium. I know. As long as it's not Belgium, I'm happy. I know. I, honestly, I'll live with it being... I really couldn't give a shit if it's Monaco. It's such a boring race. But, yeah, I think that point. the point of the matter there is... Clearly, it was too wet. Like, I don't care oh, how yeah. much... I don't care how much money you've paid to go to the track and see them or to have your pay TV subscription. Oh, no, it was the correct That's decision a... to delay the race oh, no, for sure. I know, that was so the correct people decision. Like, I paid my 450 bucks. Yeah, I deserve I to be entertained. I'm like, mate, you're 450 bucks. Pay, pay 20,000 bucks and maybe I'll be like, you know what? You've paid enough money to be able to say, yeah, if they die, they die. $400 doesn't, bu- $400 doesn't purchase you a death. It doesn't even purchase you a lost finger. Like, that's why a, uh, that's why big fight matches are so expensive, man. Because you're seeing two people beat the crap out of each other with exactly. serious concern of genuine injury. You know, you got to pay premium for that shit. Spend fifty thousand dollars to get one of those fake boats in the in the Miami Marina, mate. That's that's worth oh, real absolutely. money. Absolutely. You know what? You know Fucking what? The, Mi- the Miami Marina people they do they they deserve to see fatalities yeah. with how much money they pay. They they exactly. should get to those see are that. the real F one fans. We should exactly. just we should just whoever's coming last in the championship when we get to Miami, at the end of the weekend, maybe maybe who comes last in the race or who's last in the championship Sandy at the end of the Miami weekend, should be taken out to in front of the fake marina and just executed. Because they've Put paid their money mouth, and they wait, deserve wait, to see. Where your mouth it. is, mate. What was exactly. that? Exactly. Put your money where your fucking mouth yeah, is, mate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, like, we're executing Nicholas Latifi next time we go to Miami, I reckon. All right, there's Latifi and Stroll both crashed uh, before the race had even started. That's why they started so low. But, um, yeah, beyond that, another, probably the, the last thing we should touch on before we get to the fallout and the actual results themselves, uh, both Haas cars retired. Having previously held a 100% reliability record in Monaco. So you had Kevin Magnussen retire out early with an engine problem. And then Mick would split his car in two in a fairly scary crash. But uh, as you mentioned in our other podcast, FG4U, you can check that out on all platforms. Instagram, etc, etc, etc. Fun stuff, fun plugs. Uh, Due to the spins he was undertaking, he actually took off quite a lot of pace. Yeah, it was and one of those. It was one of those made. deceptive ones. Like it looked a lot worse mm. than it was because you cut back to it and you're like, "Good lord, his car is in two pieces." The last time we yes. saw a car in two pieces, we were all 120 percent certain we'd just seen a man die, namely what? the Rojan Grosjean crash in the uh, Rojan Grosjean crash, Bahrain. Now, but are you willing yeah. to admit that this was a mistake and a bad mistake? Well. Yeah, obviously. He crashed. Right, are you ready know, to criticize Mick Schumacher? Oh, it was it was an error. I mean I'm not gonna say anything more wanton, ridiculous, and hyperbolic than it was an error, but yeah, like he made he made a he made a mistake and you know he made a mistake in a point in time in the season where he needs to be producing some results, mm-hmm. but like 
I mean, I've seen countless. But uh, Jake Hughes, greatest driver of all time, made a similar mistake in F2 this weekend. So, like, it can happen to anyone. <laughs> Jake Hughes is great. <laughs> Let me let me let me let me like um perfect my argument. Six-time IndyCar, but I mean, he championships champion Scott. Dixon. He's broken a lot of fucking cars, and these these things are more expensive. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yes, then that's that is definitely the thing. Yes, the the um paychecks, not the paychecks, the um. Just the checks are uh, certainly piling up for Haas with how many damage. I believe cars this is Mick's second car he's destroyed this season. I'm fairly yes. certain. Yes. Well, he had the um, Saudi Arabia crash, which I think was significantly yep. less his fault and more that he was just the unlucky one to have the freak incident happen to him. Because the, the Jetta one, I yep. don't think he did much wrong. That was, as I said, I think that was a little bit. A probably poor track design. And then he uh, had the shunt on Vettel recently. Well, that didn't that didn't destroy a car, but yes. No, it didn't. But it's no. It's he certainly it is. Car. It's a thing. Um, and I still I still firmly believe the result is coming. But at this mm-hmm. point, I think Mick does need to produce it sooner rather than later, simply yeah. to cool a little bit of the heat off him, led primarily yeah. by. You, but no, absolutely. He does need to produce <laughs> a result. It would be good if he could avoid the George Russell situation and have to head into year number three, still looking to get that monkey off his back. If he could, you know, Indeed. get that out of the way. I mean, you say you say that Latifi and Lance Stroll are the two worst drivers on the grid, but they've scored points, mate. <laughs> oh no, I know. I know. I I that, but I mean it took Latifi until his Oh yeah. Oh no, Latifi didn't need second about year, this, so that's a fair about point. This yeah. Stage, yeah. Oh yeah, no yeah. doubt, no doubt. And that's as I said, and that's the thing. And I think the want and the the belief that I they have that Schumacher score points is on the more reason that he needs to. Because I know Schumacher is a yeah. far more talented driver than either of Stroll or Latifi. But he needs to mm-hmm. he needs to convert it. And he particularly, at the very least, he needs to, yes, start cutting down on these ones that aren't his result. And unlike unlike George, he's incident... Well, with the exception of that one time that George thought it would be hilarious safety, to crash yeah. under a safety car. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Most yes. of George's did not lead to significant damage and were more yeah. the case. Because in some ways, I think these are similar things. This is... When the pressure's on, and in George's case particularly, the machinery isn't really good enough. In Mick's case, the machinery is solid, but not definitely solid enough to guarantee points and that. You've got to push, you know, you've kind of got to push the car beyond its and possibly your capabilities and just hurt for Mm -hmm. the best. Because otherwise, all you'll do is what, you know, I was going to say Latifi, but Latifi... Latifi's abilities are sometimes so poor that even though he's pottering around at the back, he's still crashing. <laughs> um, you'll end up doing what, I don't know, like Kubica did or Marcus Ericsson used to do or whatever, and, you know, you'll just get lots of lots of finishes in 14th. whoop fucking do um, yeah. Like, as I, as I always maintained, I'd rather see George be running 11th, hassling the guy in 10th, and lock up the brake and finish 15th than George just sitting in 14th contently doing nothing. I can agree with that premise, to, for sure. You've got to... But the mistakes still pile oh, up. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, 
but the difference between them is that George would say, you know, George's mistakes all seem to come on, you know, real racetracks, and he'd he'd lock a brake and run off into the gravel or something in Austria and lose six yep. spots, and you'd be like, oh, but the car would be fine. Yeah, Mick, yeah exactly. Mick has, Mick has had his incidents um, a lot at street circuits, and unfortunately when you make a mistake at a street circuit... You often need a new you, you need a new car, and yeah. that is expensive. So no, I'm not I'm not in any way concerned in that. But yes, a result a result needs to come soon, and that as much to get this naysayers off his back is to probably settle his own confidence in a similar way to signs. With obviously signs isn't making you know fruitful shape, and that's that's okay. Signs, signs is out here probably pushing a little bit too hard and making these mistakes. But again, signs has been like uh, you know lucky, and signs has been making mistakes at actual tracks with gravel, and there's no damage to the car. We could be telling a very an even harsher story on signs if he'd been crashing at the street circuits, and every time Ferrari had to pay him you know several million dollars to build a new car. Um, but yeah, Indeed. a result. I think a result would go a long way for mixed confidence. And it's the kind of one of those things where I do have a little bit of feeling once once that first points finish comes. It would not shock me if it's followed immediately by like another four points finishes in the next five or six races. I just think he's got to get that monkey off his back. Monkey off his back. Um, Similar to how you think science needs to get that first win. Yeah, or like a big pole or something. And that's the thing. I I really thought it was being handed to him on a platter here, and I was like, wow, what a way to get the monkey off your back by winning the Monaco Grand Prix. And Well, instead of science's debut win, we had another man... Because like, we we're running on time. It's about yes. now. I want to I want to move us forward. We had Sergio Checo Perez getting his third win of his career and his first in the Principality, making him the most successful Mexican driver in Formula One ever, the first Mexican to win Monaco and the first North American to win it since. Can you guess, good sir? Mario Andretti. Not quite. Gilles Villeneuve in 1981. Now, it also means that Red Bull have won three out of four Monaco's for three different engine suppliers with Tag Heuer, Honda, and Red Bull powertrains providing said uh, victories slash sponsorships. Now, oh, nah, fuck that. That's a bad stat. Matthew. That's my name. Is Sergio Perez a title contender? He's only fifteen points behind leader Max Verstappen. I'm either only going. 15. I'm either going with Yo or Nos. Whichever word you prefer. <laughs> okay. Um, and for <laughs> anyone with half a brain cell, that's me combining a yes and a no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <So>, who's <laughs> okay? I mean, he is, but he's not. Alright. I... Yeah, I mean, he's obviously... Right now, he's he's obviously... He's very visibly a championship contender. He's... How far back of Max is he now? 15 points. So that's fuck all. Mm-hmm. That's less distance than Max was behind Leclerc exactly four races ago. So... Exactly. Um, he's very much in, and it's quite feasible. I could see him hanging around there and sort of staying within 40-odd points for a lot of the season, which keeps him there. 
but I still just... I don't really... And the biggest thing to me at the end of the day is the only way Checo is truly a championship contender is if Max, like, DNFs the next three races and suddenly Checo leads the championship and Max is, like, 50 points behind. And then Red Bull have to go, mm. all right, well, like... That's a lot Let's of push Checo to run down now. on Checo now. Because as long as they're close and more so Max is slightly ahead, at some point in the season, even if Checo is only 15 points behind, I think Red Bull will make the call of, well, this is Max's team... You're gonna, considering that's the thing, they're literally already with their drivers. I know, obviously, Checo closed like ten points on Max this weekend or whatever by yeah. winning the race and that, but that still means he was only around a race win ahead of Max, and that was after a couple of rounds. Sorry, a race win behind Max, and that's been after a couple of rounds where Max has won and Checo's finished like third or something, and he mm-hmm. literally got told to let Max through in Spain. Yes, correct. So, like, even with it very early days of the championship, round five or round six, whatever Spain was, and not that big of a gap in the championship, and, you know, Checo was told to let Max through. So as long as Max was in front of the championship, and frankly, I reckon even if he was a couple of points behind, unless Red Bull, unless Red Bull are so far clear of Ferrari that it's just a two-horse race between the Bulls, in which case... The old. Maybe they'd let the boys race and there'd be an outside chance that Checo could come out at top. As long as one of the Ferraris is there, at some point Red Bull will start playing the favourites. And unless Checo is way ahead of Max, that favourite will be Max in every scenario except for Checo having like a well over a race lead, I reckon. Okay. So and in terms of pace, not. do you think Checo has the pace or do you think he is genuinely just the bona fide number two guy? He is the fissy Keller in this situation. <laughs> On his day, yes, but, like, not really. He's not He's not mm. at the same level as Max and Leclerc. And I don't... Unlike, and unlike Sainz, who I think, if he can get his mojo back, can be at that level pretty much week in and week out because we saw last year that he can drive as well as, if not better, than Charles. I just don't think Sierra Perez can be at his level. This was a great race and a great win for him, and he will have this forever. But he's got to be remembered. It is the Monaco Grand Prix. It is the hardest, probably one of the hardest races to win on the calendar. But at the same time, it's probably the hardest race to not lose once you're in front. Because once you're in front, and in this scenario, that's the thing. Once you're in front from the last pit stop and that, and in this that scene, it's all you've got to do is not hit the wall. If you don't hit the wall, you will pretty much guaranteed to win. And that's the <laughs> thing. <laughs> Obviously, he did the job by qualifying ahead of Max because that changed a lot of things. But once he yeah, once he qualified ahead of Max, and then the Ferrari f ups put him, hand it to him on a platter and put him first. He had the race won with like over half the race to go. It was never really in doubt because that's the thing. I yeah. don't think you'd say Perez was the fastest car there. It was probably no, one of Leclerc, the Leclerc outgunned everyone else over the course of the weekend pace-wise. He just got fucked by strategy. And I think the Ferraris so, had the Red Bulls number this weekend in general pace as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, great well, I, result. I tend to agree. That. I tend to agree overall. I, it is worth noting that Perez has definitely been more comfortable with the car this season than last, which is oh, awesome absolutely. to see. So I think yeah, he's on 110 points after seven races. 
Whereas at this point last season, just after the French Grand Prix, he was on 84 points and he was 47 points behind Max. There's a big difference there. And it's, it's putting Red Bull in a very, very good position, especially. I mean, look, Science has made a comeback here, but Science has had his struggles. Um, there's no getting away from it. And they responded in due course by giving him a two-year contract. Well, I think that, I think they're possibly already no they don't they yes they were they're already the chatting race. about it but it I think the, they'd the already done it because you race. do see I think there's a little snippet yeah. um from the end of the broadcast or something or from somewhere yeah, as he's yeah, walking yeah, yeah. to the podium or something parrot he says to makes a comment to Christian Horner oh, I signed too early yes which is um <laughs> which obviously implies that yes <laughs> he'd already chat. signed the contract and he's like ah oh, should have waited till I was Sergio Perez Monaco Grand Prix winner. And yes, then exactly. made you pay me. But yes, he's, that two-year contract extension um, ends any doubts of... Pro I pretty much reckon that might pretty much ends Gasly ever getting into the Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly puts a delay on Sonoda and that, but yeah. Um, and just the whole Red Bull Academy, like, I think Sergio Perez is loving this, but, you know, Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson, even further down, uh, Hauger... Jack Crawford, whoever, they're all like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, see, I would say, I would say this is shaping up possibly beautifully. Well, it'll be interesting. I, the man in the pole prime position. Oh, I would say this is looking great for Hauger and Crawford mm. now. Because obviously they could look to move their lights and they could decide Sonoda's just not quite good enough or they could just ship on Gasly because he's never going to make it to the top team and what's the point of just having him there in AlphaTauri then? But, like, mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see. Well, yeah, Lawson, it could work for as well. At the moment, I'm not expecting Bips to ever make the step up. Mm -hmm. I think some of those guys, Lawson possibly still, and then your Hauger and Crawford could be there on the right time to arrive in the next year or two, have spent one or two years... And showing some good stuff. And it could still be Sonoda. He could sit there for four years. And by the end of those four yeah, years... Yeah. I think Sonoda's been impressive so far yeah, this season. It's Yeah. So it's it's definitely someone there. And that as long as that second seat opens up to allow them to be in at AlphaTauri. It's looking good for someone who's be coming into their prime in 2024. Whereas obviously with Gasly, he's already there. And it'll be interesting to see where Gasly goes. Because there's not going to be a seat... At one of the top... It'll be... That's the thing. It's how long does Lewis yeah. decide... And that'll be interesting because there's been no talk of it so far, but Lewis only signed a one-year extension, right? What did he sign? That is correct, year? yes. But one-year extension, but he, he's be... said he wants to continue. Okay, I was going to say, it'd be fascinating to see whether Lewis chooses to stick around in a car that's not as competitive. Because mm. um, that would be one spot. I imagine... Well, I would certainly think that if a seat opened up a Mercedes, you'd have to think Gasly would be the prime one. Like, he's clearly, clearly the best driver who is both, well, good and young that's not already in a yeah. top-team seat. I wouldn't like, be Ricardo at this point, obviously, uh, in the past. The maybe, only other spot would done. be, yeah, they could swoop in to put him in the Ricardo car, but you'd think either, yeah, they go in Piastri or they, they want an American. They want Colton Herder. Colton Herder. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, you know, there's my Alpine theory, but Alpine seems more than happy with Ocon and I mean as of right now, Ocon has exactly five times the points that Gasly does this season. That is one thing that <laughs> should be said. Now I know that, but um after two years of us being like Gasly is the best of the young drivers, he may actually be top five, he possibly is the best of the rest drivers. 
Gasly. He's had a slow start to the season. Gasly yeah. is Gasly. Is, I like. I don't want to be to well, maybe to take a little bit of a leaf out of your book and be a little bit hyperbolic. Gasly is currently having a career jeopardizing season. Who's like he's not going to get to stay at AlphaTauri indefinitely because I think Red Bull will want to bring in new young drivers. Yeah. And like if he goes this season and gets you know comfortably outscored in the standings by Sonoda and that. Will someone take, you know, take him on? Or certainly, will someone in a team at a similar or higher position up the grid take him on? Or will his only option be, like, go to Williams to replace Latifi or go to Aston Martin to replace a retiring battle or something? Like, yeah, this is not the it's season. It's been a really weird to... season for AlphaTauri. Because it's one of those things, like, in many ways, it's an age-old cliche, but in some ways, you're only as good as your last race. So, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Pierre Gasly won Monza less than two years ago, and yeah, he had some great results last year, but frankly, none of that matters. What matters is what he does this season. No one's going to be going, oh, two years ago, he looked really good. They're going to go, yeah, but he's looked woeful this year. Why would we sign Absolutely. him when we could get someone else? And yeah, so he's picked... He's timed it all wrong, really. Like, he's had his form when there was especially, no chance of going Especially anyway, so. when you consider, like, I think Ricardo may well have been signed more on... I mean, he was good in that last season at Renault, obviously, but he was signed with the whole number one driver expectation that maybe his talent warranted a few years ago. But obviously, yes. we've seen since then that form can maybe be a bit more realistic and a bit more of a slap to the nog than some would like. You know, Gasly needs to turn it around. He's had a slow start to the season. I mean, you say that Sonoda's comfortably outscoring. He's only five points ahead, Yuki. But I think Alphatari Yeah, I know, no, I know, but he's, it's one of those things. Comfortably ahead, but at the same time, he's got almost double the points. So it's a weird one. Oh, yeah. Because that's not many points, but, but just... it is double. Yes, it's a it's a strange one. They're only on seventeen points at the moment. Alphatari, the guys they're competing well should be competing with Alpine and Alfa Romeo are up there on forty and forty one respectively. Yeah, it's just a matter of Alphatari to put a full weekend together. You know, one weekend they're good in qualifying and shit on race day. One weekend they're uh, shit in qualifying and good on race day. It's been very very strange. Uh, now that we're moving out of the kind of yeah. I don't know what to say. Monaco, Spain, etc. Kind of the stock boring races. And we're moving into some more exciting tracks coming up. I'm hoping to see a bit more from the uh, the sister team there. But we'll see overall. Uh, what did you make of Sergio Perez, uh, his celebrations there in Monaco after his big win? Have you seen this? No. I can't say. <laughs> he was... um. He was photographed dancing with some women who were not his wife in Monaco. Um, no kissing, nothing like that. But there was a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a photo there of him like resting his head on this woman's shoulder while they're dancing and having having a bit of a bit of a smile there in a Monaco nightclub. So he's a, he's I mean... probably apologised, but uh, big man Checo. I yeah. mean, mate, he's just he driven a Monaco Grand Prix. You can't... He's probably yeah. tired. Oh, yeah. You can't... You know... You can't... You can't he, blame he him. He called it tired. a very bad party. <laughs> well, the party's bored him and he just wanted party. to go to sleep. Uh, understandable. I get Maybe. the same vibe all the time. Oh, yeah. Where's the empirical That's evidence? 
Oh, is there like a photo of him like with his arms mate, around? Mate, mate, but is there is there empirical like evidence that he does not know these women in any way? Are you telling me you've never put the, your, your head of... Well, I know you don't have any female friends to put your head on their shoulders, but have you never put your head wow. on the shoulder of a female friend because you're a bit tired? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Maybe Perez was just tired after winning the Monaco Grand Prix and having a massive penis. The question, the, the quote I like, it, it was a bad party that I didn't know how to control at the height of the person I am, but it was just that, a very bad party. And he uh, then apologised to his wife, Carolina. Car- Carola Martinez, regardless. Well, there you yeah, go. Yeah, Sergio Perez, he's had a bit of a week. Sounds, so like, a, sounds like it was a bad party. No, it was a very bad party. <laughs> but you know what, if I had just gotten a two-year massive multi-million dollar contract extension and won the most pre- prestigious race in uh, the Formula 1 calendar. I'd be pretty chuffed as well. So I'm not going to hold it against him. Alrighty. Anything else from Monaco you'd like to touch on or shall we move on to the news? Yes. Let's let's move on to the news. Alright. We're going to make it nice and quick and try and wrap it up. But I'm going to fucking send it. Boys. Matthew, can I send it? No. no. No? Why aren't I allowed to send it? No. It'll be a good send, trust no. me. No. Yeah, okay. send away. Just get a quick game's a good game, mate. Did I send it or did I not didn't send it? Yeah, you Oh, send it! Alrighty, this is the uh, segment where I rattle off some headlines from the fabulous, fantabulous world of Formula One. Matthew gets to pick one he gets to talk about, and I will pick one that I'd like to talk about as well. Normally Spence would play that role, but he is not here. Hopefully we will see him back soon. We shall see. Matthew, are you listening? Sadly. Headline number one, courtesy of FormulaOne.com. He's done an exceptional job. Russell says it's no surprise to see Albon flourishing at Williams. Sent. Headline number two. Ocon. Uncertain future for French GP in Formula One. Disappointing. Courtesy there of Autosport.com. Headline number three. Vettel votes for Bathurst over Las Vegas F1 race. PlanetF1.com. Shout out to the fellows over yonder. Number four. How can F1 break the deadlock over competing cost cap desires? Motorsport.com. And finally, we need to see how we move forward from here. Steiner unhappy over Schumacher's Monaco crash over there on Formula1.com. Matthew, consider it sent. This this is a first. I think this is the first time you've actually had five... Good. Normally, there's one or two ones that I'm like, that's just the dumbest story. I don't care. Which, in fairness, in fairness, this week, that probably is the Vettel story. But I'm Australian. So I am going to choose that story. Um, Before I do one of that, I actually do want to just quickly um, make a comment on the other one that I do want to that. Are George and Alex your favorite F1 couple? Ooh. Ooh. I think they're definitely mine. It's just whoever George is... Ha- like, George and Latifi was my favourite before. Or... I, yeah, I don't mind even, Yuki and but Pierre he, But even well. then, like, that was... That was... That was that. But, like... George, George and... Like, that just... 
you know, because I know, and I know Lando's in there as well, but like mm. George and George and Albon, that's the bromance, man. That's like the original it bromance. Really is. And that's and that's well, apparently, they've apparently never been George, on the same team. Apparently, George really pushed hard for Williams team principal Joe Capito to take on Alex Albon as his replacement. Apparently, yeah, that was Alex a bit probably, of George Alex probably Russell told him he wouldn't get any head if he didn't come back to the group. So, like, yeah, George <laughs> had to do what he had to do. <laughs> exactly right. But, yeah, um, but no, yeah, I will. Well, I will take the Vettel Vettel votes Bathurst because I saw that today, and I was like, "What?" But like, yeah. Um. So I never actually clicked into the story, but I imagine the gist of it just is Vettel's like, "Yeah, I don't really care for this Las Vegas track. I'd much rather they take us to some place like Bathurst." <laughs> yes. Um, oh. Now, obviously, um, in one respect, that is a fucking stupid idea. Uh, <laughs> a Formula One race at Bathurst would be really dumb. Bathurst is not an F1 spec circuit, and I imagine to make Bathurst an Correct. F1 spec circuit, you'd probably have to ruin Bathurst. Um, I just do not. Yes. I do not think it is um, conceivable for a Formula One car to tackle the Dipper. Because <laughs> there is no matter how you take, there is a just you there will you will have three like only three wheels on the ground at one point in the dipper because of the camera of the corner and the way it falls away. I'm just not sure how well now Formula One cars have been around there. I remember oh, probably like a decade or so now, back when um what is now uh, the Red Bull team in uh, supercars, but I guess is more known by its overarching thing uh, of the Triple Eight race engineering. Uh, used to be sponsored by Vodafone, who obviously sponsored the McLaren F1 team in the late oh, yeah. 2000s, early 2010s. So sometime around then, they did like a little, uh, probably part of the Australian Grand Prix or something, you know, a little, you know, PR stunt swap over thing. And so, you know, they took a car up to Bathurst. And so uh, Jensen Button did some laps in Craig Lowndes' supercar. And Craig Lowndes mm. did some laps in the F1 yeah. car. And then I think obviously they did some laps in each of their own cars and that just so Jensen could prove just how fast an F1 driver can drive an F1 car. So, like, an F1 car can go around Bathurst, but there would have been spots where he would have definitely been, like, taking it more conservative than you would have to in actual race mode. And I just think that that obviously wouldn't work. But I agree with Vettel's point, which I think was probably just he'd rather be seeing races in spots that have history, either at the very least, like, actual already F1 history, just don't take races away from there, or if you're going to bring on new races, go to tracks and places that have legitimate motorsporting history rather than just, oh, Vegas, because it's Vegas. Like, as I've said a million times, you want another race in America, Watkins Glen. Or heck, fuck, you want another race in America, Indianapolis. Or Charlotte. Charlotte's got a lovely road course now, and that's a very historic place in terms of motorsport in America because it's the spiritual home of NASCAR. Like, mm. it's just the whole, oh, we need, we'll have Miami because it's Miami and Vegas because it's Vegas, and let's just roll out generic shitty street circuits. Like, I know that's a thing. I wasn't particularly enthralled with what I saw of the pictures of the track layout for Miami. And wouldn't you believe, it kind of fucking sucked. I wasn't, I've not been excited of the pictures I've seen of Vegas. Now, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I kind of feel like it's just going to fucking suck. But it'll be in Vegas, and it'll make them lots of money, and they won't care. So, yeah. yeah. 
would be nice to see that. And obviously, Formula One at Bathurst would be incredible. But anyway, Formula One anywhere. There's got to be another fucking... Skip Phillip Island's not great. Let's have F1 at Phillip Island. Let's have something. I miss oh, yeah. Phillip Island. Phillip Island, only Island. Ha- Phillip Island only has the motorbikes now because Supergirls doesn't go there anymore. And it makes me sad because Phillip Island is an amazing racetrack. So this uh, this quote came actually from an Aston Martin fans forum at the Australian Grand Prix. So it's only recently come to light. But basically, yeah, people were asking uh, why he would like Formula One to visit Las Vegas. And he responded by saying, oh, I'd rather go to Bathurst. Which obviously, maybe a bit of pandering to the crowd there. <laughs> Just a little bit. But, but like, says, Vettel, we, we also know Vettel's a little motorsport nerd. So it wouldn't surprise me if he watches Bathurst. Most years. I wouldn't be surprised either. He's never driven there, but he says it's on his bucket list. Uh, but yeah, he said, take the cash, we'll take to Vegas, and invest it in great tracks that already exist. That would be a real challenge. I think that track is a monster. So, yeah, good guy. At the that moment, Bathurst be... is, is grade three uh, and needs to be yes. grade one to meet the FAA standards. So, bit of work to do there. There's a lot. There's not a, and the Bathurst is a weird one because, like, it's a... Sh- it, it kind of it like it's a track, but it's not. It's a street. It's, it's a street circuit. It's public roads. Three hundred and sixty-two days. Well, not that, but like three hundred oh, and fifty days involved, of the year. Mate. And that, but it's a tricky one because like that's a thing. It almost is like a street circuit. Most of Bathurst, there is exactly no runoff. And with an F gun car and that, yeah, you need to be doing a lot of yeah, probably upgrading all of the fencing. You'd be needing probably to put. More catch fencing just on top of the walls. I think you'd be a lot more worried about an F1 car going over some of those barriers than you are like a supercar in that. But yeah, it, it wouldn't work. Sure. But the other thing I did have is, ooh, we are, can we can we can we tempt Seb to compete at the the one thousand one day? That'd be <laughs> I don't know how sure. to do that. Like I'm not. I'd rather kinda, go there kinda, than uh, fucking re- Las Vegas. Respectfully, respectfully. Sebastian Vettel would probably be a terrible co-driver signing because he'd probably be really shit and slow. That's no knock on Sebastian Vettel's talent. That's just a reflection of supercars are really hard for people to just pick up out of the blue. We've seen a lot of very talented drivers come over for like one-off races or very small stints and they just aren't very good. Um, but I would love to see Sebastian Vettel in a supercar at Bathurst one year. That would be fucking awesome. Spectacular chat. My favourite quote from this is, um, he drops the old, To be honest, I've been to Vegas. I didn't really like it. I think it's too busy and people misbehave. Nothing against misbehaving, but it's just when you go too far. Vegas seems to be a hotspot for people who just go too far when it's not funny anymore. He is such a dad, it's ridiculous. Alrighty, consider it sent. I will now pick my headline. Um, I'm tired. I want to have a nap, so I'm going to pick the quick one, which we've already talked about. This Mick Schumacher situation over there. This Gunter Steiner comment. Yeah, basically Steiner was questioned about the uh, the incident, and he just you know he just said, "Well, look, we're not happy about it, and we have to review how we move forward." It's not very satisfactory having a big crash again. We need to see how we move forward from here, is the direct quote from Mr. Steiner. So just doubling down on the idea that, yeah, the pressure is building on Mick and these very visible public crashes are not helping his case 
at all if you've got the big stein mine on your back. You don't love to see that. Um, yeah. So that's all. Just a quick little note there. Really? Precious building, son! Uh, in which case, I think the last thing on our agenda would be Baku this weekend. Indeed it would. Azerbaijan, the world-famous city of Baku, known for their arm wrestling, Matthew. <laughs> I have one, one question for you, Jashan. Um Please. What time, what time, oh, actually, God, it's probably redundant. What time, in theory, have you been trying to get yourself to bed before your uh, early morning shifts at the moment? What's, it, uh, what's, the, what's the goal for bedtime these days? Dude, it doesn't, I'm on demon time, man. Like, my days off, I'm, I'm spent preparing for recording or editing as I As I said, then... what's the, not, not what are you doing, what's the goal? There is no goal, I, it's just ideally, sleep when I can. Ideally? Um, oh jeez, what's eight hours? Give me, uh, ten-ish? Interesting, fair enough. Because, I was just saying that, but, uh, Baku this weekend is a 9pm start here in Australia. So done before eleven, most likely. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. That's is, pretty much that, that could work. Dream. Except so, I'll be working, so doesn't matter. I think I'll probably watch maybe live. I can watch you when I get home. <laughs> uh, you really need you really need the bar to give you more shifts, or like. No, no, no! I'm working at the mm. the bar on Sunday night, so I can't. No, like uh, that's what I mean. You really need the bar to give you more shifts, or let you know, or something so that you can you know well yeah but okay because the bar was giving you six shifts a week or whatever and you could work all the other days and be like hey can i have sunday night off or something oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. it's also part of it is just like i i want to try and do this double job thing for about a month so i can save up some money and, and finally kind of get out of this living paycheck to paycheck lifestyle which is That's just fair. draining the soul from my body so 20 bucks says you kick a door in or something similar. Yeah, look, probably. That's what, that's I could take 20 bucks, no actually, so I'll take that's that what... action. <laughs> Jashad's like, I'll lose the 2000 but I'll make $20. <laughs> so totally worth it. All part of the plan, man. All part of the uh, plan. All part of the Ferrari uh, Yeah, so Azerbaijan Grand Prix, um, it's pretty much the exception to the rule. We bang on about, oh my god, another fucking stupid money-taking street circuit. But uh, Azerbaijan's actually fucking dope. It's probably been the best inclusion to the F1 calendar, I would say, since the Circuit of the Americas. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, yeah, pretty much every year, it's a great race. It's got already... It's all right to think. Out of all the newer tracks and that, even probably including Circuit of the Americas, I don't think I can think of a track with as many iconic moments. I see you've got uh, the Leclerc crash and qualifying, Ricardo running into Verstappen... You've got Ricardo's. I think Ricardo was one, uh, possibly like a stroll or someone in that. With um, a few different guys who've done multi-car overtakes down the main straight into turn one. Uh, you got the Lance Stroll P3, the mm -hmm. year that Ricardo won it. Uh, you've got the Verstappen crash from the lead last year. Uh, yeah, there's already just a lot of a lot of. It's oh, a you've marathon, got that, you've, not a sprint. Remember, you've got, guys, the Hamilton, it's a you've got the Hamilton catastrophic lockup. There's just yeah, 
so many Checo's, moments already Checo's that have happened in the short yeah. year. Yes, the short history of the Baku Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm fucking chuffed, my guy. I'm absolutely gassed. Watch me fucking watch this race as soon as I get home from my bar shift and completely compromise my hotel shift the next day. Because I'm fucking uh, gassed for this I thought you were going to say race. watch you watch it as soon as you get home and it ends up being one of the worst races of the season. Also probably will happen. No, I've got, I've got faith. It gave us one of the races of the season last year. And I think especially with these new cars and the uh, overtaking potential we've got, I reckon this will be one of the races of the season this year. As well, I'm absolutely chiefed for it, mate. Now, one thing I will say, say it, bros. I, I just don't. Is see this going to be a take on Karabag FK, the premier Azerbaijani football club? Sure. I just don't see how Red Bull can't win this weekend because my thinking here mm. is that whilst there is the nice technical section, remember that. But like, of course. Pretty much 90% of Azerbaijan is the main straight. Quite. Uh, and Red Bull is clearly the fastest car in a straight line. Red We've Bull seen, the gas. Uh, I, just, I just don't see how the Ferraris... Like, it's one of those things. Wouldn't shock me if Leclerc takes pole, because it wouldn't surprise me if the Ferrari can take mm-hmm. multiple, multiple tenths on the Red Bulls through the rest of the lap. But, mm-hmm. like, it's one of those things. If you're within DRS range, pretty much. Like, yes. that, that the, the the front straight is so long that you can get a legitimate slipstream and an overtaking opportunity without DRS. If you're within the one second, of, it's the kind of one where, like, some tracks, if you're just within DRS and you start at 0.9 seconds, it's like, well, you're in this never-ending loop of closing up to about 0.3 seconds, but not being that. I'm pretty sure Azerbaijan's one of the ones. If you're within that one second... You're pretty much a less well, I mean, not for that, but if you're the Red Bull and you're already like 15Ks per hour fast or whatever, plus the extra 10 from DRS, I reckon the Red Bull will be able to make a move on the Ferrari from like the one second back, honestly. So I just don't see how the Ferraris are going to be able to keep them behind them. So all Verstappen's got to do is hang about near the club. Hang about. And with that in mind, I'm going to actually take a Red Bull 1-2 as my prediction. I'm going to go over Stappen, Perez, and Sainz as the podium. The Stappen, Perez, and Sainz. And I think this might prove to be a decisive... Yeah, I don't have a clear finishing. I think this could be the decisive Ah, one championship because uh, I think Leclerc will crash at turn one. No, Ooh, um, yeah, but wow. I know, no, just I think I can see, I don't know, I'm not even that. I just can see Leclerc getting maybe rattled by the fact that Verstappen and maybe Perez blow past him, and then he'll make a mistake, and then he'll hand signs the P3. I, I will say the way Leclerc reacted to the whole pit stop fiasco, understandably, mind you, that was garb. But that's the most heated I've ever seen. Like. I've never seen Charles Leclerc lose his cool to that extent. That was intense. Like, oh, he yeah. Was he's straight, and that's the thing. He know, and that's the thing. Kubler, for the first time in his career, he's got, like, legitimate stakes beyond just anyone. And obviously, obviously mm-hmm. double as well. It's Monaco, and he really wants to win his home Grand Prix. Yes. But, of course. but beyond, beyond just, oh, well, this race weekend's gone crap. He's got legit stakes. Like, yeah, he can't afford to be dropping points there. 
Absolutely. I I think there will be some carnage, but I think I want I want to take back to back jacks. I've got Max Verstappen retiring in Baku for a second consecutive season. I've got Checo winning in Baku for a second consecutive season, winning back to back races in that regard. I've got Leclerc coming in P2, and I've got Lando Norris. Lando Norris just quietly has put together an absolute string of performances, like battling tonsillitis and yet qualifying well, driving well, recent, like fucking amazing stuff from Lando. Um, and I reckon he'll sneak in there into P3. Been an absolute star on the Grill the Grid video so far as well. He's got a little, with his little wanky, charming personality there, a little sassy boy. So I'm going Checo, Leco, and Orlando. Fair enough. Any other bold takes? Any other bold predictions? I think Mick will either score points or crash out. <laughs> I don't think they'll be in between. I think if Mick finishes the race, it's in uh, the points. Interesting. You're just you're just digging it. You're digging yourself a deeper hole, mate. How? Oh, do you, what, do you, just not. Do you enough. do you? Okay. Well, ask me. I'll ask you this. What do you think is more likely, Mick finishing 14th or Mick crashing? <laughs> oh, look, he had a few Because if, if, you th- if you think it's Mick crashing, which I think is a fair enough shout at this current point, then I think it's a pretty reasonable thing. I think if, every, if he can keep all four wheels on the car for the whole race, I think he's a bloody decent chance at points. Mm. But I'm just not sure if he can keep all, wheel, all four wheels on the car for a whole race. I don't mind it. So catch me actively rooting for Mick to crash on the last lap when he's running 15. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All of that. I've recently made the change from um, Rexona to Nivea deodorant, so I'm really excited for the next couple of weeks or so to see how Oh, mate, you're dead to me. Yeah. This is a betrayal bit. I cannot forgive. Big movers and shakers over here. Well, you can find us on any good podcast player. And on Instagram at Online Hub Media. For another week, I've been Matt, joined by Jashan. Happy to be here. And uh, this has been Rear of the Grid. No, don't tell me it's Mexico. <laughs> Scroll the grid. It's tough. Yeah, okay, we we'll do it again. We we'll do it again. Yeah. This gotta be Mexico. Correct. Oh, okay. <laughs>